Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we are still in Prague at Update.net. Yeah. The conference. And having a great time. Having a great time. Tibby's here. He's brought scotch. Yes, we're drinking scotch. Yeah. This may have consequences. We're celebrating our uh, 1600 show milestone here, yeah. you and I together while yeah, we're, we're here. we're together. Recorded it. Uh, before then, yeah, but it yeah. came out yesterday based on the recording times. But right. yay, 1,600 shows, friend. Yeah, congratulations. Ching, ching. And uh, congratulations. Carl Ott is here. Carl's with us. Carl. Congratulations, The Carl. other Carl. Yeah, the other Carl. And uh, we're going to be talking to him in just a minute. But first, we have this really interesting thing we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. Roll the crazy music. <laughs> Right, dude, what do you got? Well, since Carl wants to talk about top Azure security fails, I thought I would pull up a list of 20 of the worst tech support calls ever. Oh, no. From notalwasright.com. So I went through these, and some are just kind of, you know, uh, you know, laugh at the stupid people. Dumb or mean. But, you know, when there's irony, yes, it's even more fun. And so <laughs> I'm going to read the number one voted with 10,153 votes. Okay. Dumb support call. All right. So this obviously happened at a computer store. So somebody walked in and said this. Hi, my son says that I have Spartans on my laptop and I should bring it to you guys. Spartans? Uh, ma'am? <laughs> Spartans? <laughs> yes. I called my son at school and told him that screens keep popping up all the time, and he said that I have Spartans. Oh, you mean Trojans. That's right. a possibility. Well, let me run this analyzer on your laptop real quick, and we'll see what's going on. Now, young man, my son is in college, and he says it has Spartans. You just stand here in a little uniform and make minimum wage. I think my son knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Dude, you just gave that guy your computer. How dumb are you? Yeah, uh, you're right, ma'am. I was hoping to run a diagnostic and find out that it wasn't Spartans. But just by looking at the login screen, I can tell that you probably have about 300 of the little guys running around. <laughs> 300? Is that bad? Oh, it's horrible, ma'am. They cram themselves into a bottleneck and kill wave after wave of data until there's a wall of dead programs blocking any more traffic through your computer. <laughs> oh, that figures. I'm going to have to buy a new computer now. Okay, ma'am. I think that would be best. <laughs> Smartens. I love it. That just kills me. Uh, man. Spartans. Now, young man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love tech support. Isn't that great? It's a good one. Yeah. The gods of vengeance and irony smacking you down. Yep. That's what happens. Don't pick on the guy who's supposed to help you. That's it's right. unwise. <laughs> or don't shh where you eat. Yes. Right? Okay. Anyway, uh, who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1445, the one we did back in May of 2017 with Troy Hunt, which I happily named Security Nightmares. <laughs> And I'll, I like the I'll read the opening abstract. line from the abstract. Troy Hunt is back. Put on your tinfold hat and get under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> no, Spartans. No, Spartans. Here come the Spartans. Here come the Spartans. Uh, I want to read this comment from James Moody. He's okay. been a longtime listener. And yeah. This is a great comment. He says, uh, in my humble opinion... Developers need to be more akin to medical doctors or lawyers in that we need to know how to do everything related to software. Mm. That's not to say that we'll always do everything. Just have an idea of how it's done. Surgeons have nurses. Lawyers have paralegals. Developers have their own industry specialists, InfoSec guys, right? To help with network, hardware, security, performance, and so on. Mm -hmm. If you must talk to a security team in order to design or code your app, then you've already failed. Mm. I don't know if I agree with that. Your company security team almost certainly knows nothing about your needs, much less your users' needs. They have no idea what risks are acceptable within the context of your business app. You and only you and your users know that. I don't think I agree with that either, actually. You know, kind of often users are just have no radar on what the security requirements are. 
you know, if you happen to be working in, in medical spaces and you have to be compliant with HIPAA, doesn't mean mm-hmm. that your doctors know anything about HIPAA. It doesn't True. mean that, that you're, uh, uh, you as a developer may know anything about HIPAA. Certainly the patient doesn't know anything about HIPAA. And yet if you're not complying with HIPAA, everybody's in big trouble. Yeah. That's what InfoSec guys are for. Yeah. But he goes on to say, ladies and gents, we created this mess. We need to deal with it. Nothing happens without software, and developers create software. Yes, that's yes, true. Yes, they do. If you're looking for developers with security training, check out GIAC's GSSP. Uh, so there is training in the security space for .NET developers. And certainly, developers should be aware of it, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't preclude you having InfoSec guys who specialize in that sort of thing. And I kind of like before I start an app to sit down with everybody that's going to be affected with a piece of software, mm. operations folks, tech support, uh, and InfoSec and saying, here's what we're thinking, guys. Any red flags? What are you worried mm. about? Because everybody has different viewpoints on that. Yeah. You know, some people like uh, industrial grade aluminum for their hats. Yeah. Some people prefer the consumer grade. You know, just a double layer of Reynolds <laughs> is good enough for me, really. Or just and, Pringles can. Yeah, a that's good Pringles can. <laughs> I only use those for antennas, but that's a different <laughs> thing. Uh, so, James, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. Publish every show to Facebook. We used to publish Google Plus, but it's gone away. Yeah, that's right. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We run him through a Spartan scan. Is that a thing? Spartanscanner.com. Spartan scanner. Now it needs to be a thing. <laughs> I, and I also got to mention that Music to Code by is up to 18 tracks. You can get them for five bucks each or awesome. the whole collection for $42 because that's the answer to everything. Mm-hmm. All right, now let's bring on Carl Otz. Carl is a cloud and cybersecurity consultant, as well as an international speaker and trainer with a broad range of deep Azure expertise. He believes that cloud technologies are the key to successful digital transformation. Carl applies his passion and expertise to his work as a managing consultant at Composure, the Azure-only consultancy, also an Azure MVP. He speaks, he does training, uh, he's a system security professional certified CISSP. I actually think that's from the conference website where they have the outdated. Oh, it's uh, really? Line. Okay. So What's changed? So we changed our company name. Oh, yeah. what's that? So we dropped five letters o- over half of that, and now we are Jure. You're so, just Jure. Yes, we are Jure about Azure. So we brought the Jure.com domain. Are you Jure? We are so Jure. All right. <laughs> 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 so I'm going to talk about InfoSec and essentially phishing everybody that Windows A and Portal A and all of those nice. okay. domains. Oh, this could get confusing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good thing we're here. <laughs> but here I read a comment about a guy saying we don't need InfoSec guys, and I'm sitting with an InfoSec guy. Right. right. <laughs> I'm pretty I used, sure he has an opinion about that. I used to be a developer as well. And but then yeah. what? You got over it? Is there? Is it parole? <laughs> like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, I think there's some sort of a 20 mile radius where I'm not allowed to go back. Something uh, like that. <laughs> don't let that man touch your keyboard. <sighs> Oh my! Your session was going to be top eighteen, but I don't want to set a number here, um, because Azure is supposed to be secure, dude. Like, how are we got, we can't go wrong with Azure. I'm in the cloud. I'm safe. Yeah, I think that it's about the whole spectrum of responsibility. Mm-hmm. That that that's where everything starts, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So essentially, if you're in in a software as a service part of Azure, mm-hmm. or however you brand some of those, if you're using functions or whatever in a very tight sandbox, then you can go wrong, but you can only go wrong with very small parts of your own stuff right. that you do. Mm-hmm. If, yeah. you, if you're going to build everything on your own, if you have containers or, or even infrastructure as a service, right. then a lot can go wrong because yeah. you're responsible of everything that you put in there. Sure, right. yeah. If things can spread. Yeah. The, the Trojans might spread or the Spartans the might Spartans. spread. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I appreciate your thinking that one of the reasons for me to go up to as little infrastructure ownership as possible is that that's all surface area for attack. And I'd rather let Microsoft deal with that surface area than me. Yeah. Essentially, if something's wrong there, they have a much bigger incentive to fix that than sure. me. Yeah. 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 Where, yeah, if it's your, if it's your VM and it's got an, and you haven't patched it and it gets exploited, that's kind of on you. Yeah. I actually had on my session, I ran a list of uh, how many times uh, there have been failed login attempts on a set of VMs in Azure right. uh, in the past 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And there were over 2,000 dif- unique 
login at login uh, names login names attempted the topmost one was the administrator with uh-huh. over 12,000 times. So I take it you guys don't turn that into a drinking game. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you can once. Yeah. <laughs> once. <laughs> You're not going to get to the bottom of the log. No. We, no. Do you guys use the honeypot technique where you change the administrator name to something like Bob and then uh, the actual administ- uh, and then create a regular account called administrator With so that no you can see? With no privileges of any kind. Yeah. That's yeah, a the, common technique. Well, essentially, the infrastructure part is actually the most uh, or the most boring there for me mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's something that uh, there's a lot of people who already know how to do the actual host hardening part uh, yeah. al- already. That's yeah. uh, that's not dev stuff. That That's not really Azure puristic stuff. It's, right. it's something that has been done and there are people who are very great at it. Something that I can try to be the best at is the how do I configure the Azure resource called virtual machine or how do we, how do I configure the overall Azure architecture mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Is Azure by default any more secure than if you took a Windows server and just connected it to a public IP address inherently? <laughs> He's got to take a drink for that one. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So I, <clears throat> coming back to my session as well, it's, it's essentially a, a set of rants, 18 or however many I... I can actually have time to yeah, fit into an hour. Yeah, mm. yeah, essentially. So Azure allows us to do uh, security, uh, you know, a mo- lot more, let's say, uh, layered way than what we can do in in a traditional data center. Mm-hmm. If you already have like Cisco and all of the big uh, traditional IT vendor guys come in and set everything as they want, adding layers and layers of uh, complexity. Mm. Uh, obscurity and hopefully even security there as well most likely putting something uh on our own data center is is great but when when we actually want to connect that to the internet uh then then we come to the analogy part that what happens when we do the same in azure well in azure all of the stuff that we already invested a lot in has already been taken care of by microsoft right so they have hired the guards with actual actual guns in there in finland uh, regular data center or kind of uh, national nationally audited data centers don't really have guns in there. No. Yeah. Uh, they might have CCTV cameras, but again, if I have a ladder, I most likely I can just walk in there, wow. maybe with a hard hard hat uh, with me. Mm. So the kind of physical security part is taken care of. Mm. Maybe the kind of electricity uh, network networking side is already taken care of by yeah. Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So doing that uh, on our own data center or or hosters data center. Just adding a new VM and opening that up to the internet. Yes, uh, we have the same level of security as we had before. Yeah. But we need to invest and keep on investing on keeping that secure. I love the physical security problem. I don't know if I ever told you the story. This is a bit of a digression, which you'll probably enjoy. Right. But back before the public cloud, mm-hmm. we had rented an office space and we turned a closet into a, 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 a server closet and had half a dozen machines. They were expensive. This isn't your house you're talking this about. This is not in my house. This was in an office space. Okay. And got broken into. They came in through, we we're on the third floor, but they came in through the windows and they stole huh. the machines. Wow. Right? So that's bad. So, you know, insurance claim, replace the machines, put bars on the windows. Right. And two weeks later, they knocked down the door and took the machines again because they knew we were going to have new machines. Wow. So another insurance claim, replace the machines, put in a reinforced door, bars on the windows. (laughs) They broke into the office next door and cut through the wall and stole the machines the third time. What? Yeah. Wow. And after that, the insurance company would not <laughs> cover us anymore. Wow. But it's just like, hey, you know what? Fiscal security isn't trivial. No. Actually keeping machines safe. And I have walked through some Microsoft data centers. They're concrete bunkers for a reason. Yeah. Like, <laughs> physical security is its own problem. There's no two ways about it. Um, before we get back to it, I, can you also tell me about the, the key, the USB key that you use, Richard? I've just gotten a UB key. Oh, perfect. And I and just recently heard that, that Azure is going to fully support it, but it's basically, uh, it's a, a key generator. It, it's a, a token generator. And so you plug it into your USB slot. This particular one is a five and it also has NFC built in. So it secures my phone as well. Now, what does that mean? Do you, can people not use your computer and phone if that thing isn't present? I haven't turned it on for the login in Windows because you, that's pretty dramatic. Like you, if you lose it, you kind of are hooped. Yeah. Um, so what I've turned it on is for LastPass for my password, uh, my password security. Okay. So I cannot log into my password manager without my YubiKey. Okay. Anymore. 
And so in that sense, it's like if you open up a browser, the first thing it asks is for the YubiKey token because and it just won't provide passwords without it. But the data on your internal hard drive is not protected because no, people I haven't can... turned any of that on yet. Yeah. So I'm I am just getting used to YubiKey. So I'm adding feature by feature. And is it UBI key? Yeah, UBI key. And you can get them anywhere? Pretty much. They mail order them in there. They're wow. a few dollars. But it's... this is the kind of thing that I've been talking about for years. I'm, is... I'm interested in getting away from passwords, right? Yeah, me like, too. I have a humongous password on my LastPass account, mm. but with my UBI key i don't have to type it anymore it's yeah. like without the key you don't get in that's great it makes yeah. sense now do you have a backup copy of it somewhere of the of the password i of the ub key i don't and that's one of the reasons i haven't put it on the windows yet it's right. now that i've played with it for a while i'm like okay this is pretty good now i'm gonna get a spare yeah i'd like to have a copy in a concrete room well somewhere <laughs> and the main okay. thing is to put it somewhere that you're actually going to find it again yes. because that would suck that's true <laughs> all right let's talk about some azure fails security fails I, and I really appreciate right off the bat, yeah. it's like you move to Azure so you don't have to deal with physical security. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Like, don't use, you, you. the best way to avoid getting a VM hacked is don't have VMs. Yes, exactly. That's right. Best use of, uh, as the, was it the Japanese Minister of Responsible of Cybersecurity, he has never used a computer. That's so that's the best security that you can get. You, you can get hacked. No personal nice. email whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. doesn't have. I you mean, know, it, if you cut off your hands... That's probably a good measure, too, because then you won't get them uh, dirty or infected. Yeah. Stop um, breathing. Chances of getting a cold are much lower. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm frustrated by like, who put them in that job. I don't care how good an administrator he is. It's like, how can you possibly be credible if you don't have the slightest clue about the friction of passwords? Exactly. But the good thing is that now it's more apparent than maybe with some other countries where we have at least an idea that they might have some some background in in IT or they might have any idea, some idea right. about cyber. Yeah. So it's better than it's kind of upfront and yeah. we don't even kid ourselves on that side. Yeah, certainly we're not going to take any advice from him at all, but yeah. I think it's the challenge is just appreciating. I mean, kind of you kind of want someone who's frustrated with it too. It's like why are these things so hard? Yeah, that's you make that's how you make changes. Yeah. But yeah, coming back to the physical security and moving from that. So Microsoft is really doing it kind of in an overkill way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have the privilege of visiting the Dublin data center. Okay. And essentially it's, uh, it's in Ar- Ireland. So it's, mm-hmm. it's an island. First of all, there's only one tank on the whole, whole island. Mm. And it, the data center design is taking into account, uh, or it is, uh, the risk uh, assessment is taking into account what that if somebody attacks with a tank. So there's a, Moss uh, on outside of the walls of the data center building. Crazy. <laughs> so that's that's kind of overkill that you have to do if you want to have the same level of physical security on your own data center sure. that Microsoft has. Hmm. Yes, yeah. but on Azure, really, uh, the same laws that in any any software system applies. As long as you have your uh, more than one user, uh, you get to deal with all kinds of uh, fancy authorization and access management related uh, fails and issues. Mm. My personal favorite is that whenever I go to any new customer, uh, I just I don't even have to run any scans, nothing. I just ask them to please log into your Azure portal, show me what you have. Mm. And usually by the first, uh, well, first of all, they at worst they log in using a shared password. It's like Azure admin at hotmail.com, yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, that yourbusiness.com. Yeah, right. well, that's already better, but most likely that is still uh, not an Azure AD account. It's their live mm-hmm. or Microsoft personal account. And yeah, that's that kills me. Is it, how many people are using their personal account for the for the Azure? Now you can also use your Gmail account there. So, right. so mm-hmm. the same email address on your portal might uh, that might look like your legitimate enterprise.com uh, email address or your enterprise.com email address. That can be from your Azure AD from somebody else's Azure AD, mm-hmm. your Gmail account, right. uh, or your personal Live ID. And the Gmail and Live ID are very vulnerable to these spoofing types of attacks. Mm-hmm. I have no idea who this guy is. I personally, my, my primary Live ID has as a primary email ID so a domain name that right. I haven't owned for 15 years. Mm. Right. So, but I can still log in there. Yeah. If if I invite that user in, uh, okay, I can't get an e- email invite link, but I, I can always kind of ask that Azure admin that, yes, please send me the direct link. Just It's maybe in my spam folder. Just copy mm-hmm. paste it to me. And right. then once I'm in there, uh, essentially, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, uh, and that's one of the big, big things that we, the kind of, even though Office 365 is such a big thing right now, right. and even though most customers who are on Azure, uh, enterprise customers, or any customers who are on Azure, they have at least some level of Azure AD in mm. place. Right. 
they still use this kind of mix of different uh, external IDs uh, or or personal IDs, and that that's that's really one of my my uh, pet peeves in there that you're you're inviting it. Uh, inviting the same user from several different ways and most likely you don't know who that user actually is and whether or not they are actually covered under your company's you know mfa rules or are they using a secure computer where are they even logging in Hmm. right so what is your preferred strategy for like the master account if a company's setting up azure for the first time should they be making a separate email address that is that account and what does that look like so for the first time uh first of all it depends. Nice. I'm a consultant. <laughs> so it depends on whether or not you have a direct relationship with Microsoft. Uh, larger enterprises have their own enterprise agreements. Yes. So so actually that's something that's tied with their regular, you know, updating your Windows licensing. And together you have a slice of Azure with it as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, that person who's named there... Uh, most likely is a procurement person. They get an email saying that, yes, you are invited to Azure Enterprise Portal. Please click here to activate your Azure. They don't have any clue what it is. Most likely they just sign in there, uh, click, on, cl- click on that link, sign in with their Windows uh, or Microsoft Volume Licensing ID, which is a personal account, personal Microsoft which account. It shouldn't have been either. It's, mm. uh, yes, yeah. but, <laughs> this but is what it happens. still is. Yeah. Uh, and they log in there and they say, okay, here's my Azure stuff. Who do I invite? Here's my IT guy. And then they invite somebody in and then they actually have the enterprise level access. And that's where you create your uh, kind of department and account level access. And un- underneath those, you actually create your Azure subscriptions, which is the thing that I, you and I actually log into Azure portal.azure.com and actually see the resources and resource groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the subscriptions are sitting on some sort of topology, depending on where do you get your Azure. If mm-hmm. you're a startup, you might get free Azure from somewhere. Yeah. You don't get this the enterprise. Spark accounts. Well, mm, yeah. It's what used to be Spark nowadays, Azure Microsoft startup, something like that. Right. Yeah. Essentially, it's a set of uh, sponsorship accounts uh, where nowadays we even get to rename the subscriptions, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was a missing feature for a while. In and Carl, I'm going to interrupt you for just a moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? <laughs> it's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of music to code by before October 24th, 2017, you are eligible to win a free six-month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. Download Music to Flow by in your app store and flow on. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell, Carl Franklin here at the Update Conf in Prague, and we're talking to Carl Otz, the other Carl. The other Carl. About getting the these, I think these key accounts, are, and, and now that YubiKey directly supports Azure logins, like I kind of like that the, the that the super user account be you have to have this YubiKey. Yes. Although you can have clones, like there could be multiple YubiKeys that would work on that same account. Yes. Definitely getting one. So, so most likely you have to have some sort of a master key to manage. Uh, what you know? What if for something unconceivable happens? What if, for example, the multi-factor authentication is down? Right. Mm. That has happened just this week. Really? Yes. Wow. So, okay. so users who had their MFA turned on mm-hmm. uh, in globally in Azure uh, were not able to log in. Wow. I have the problem where I'm here and without a SIM card, right? Or even if I do have a SIM card, my number is different. My, uh, I'm overseas. Yeah. So the 2FA doesn't work. Yeah. I have not been able to log into Amazon to order something, by the way, yeah. right. for that matter. What, what I'm actually personally using, using kind of count, to counter that is uh, to have a uh, phone number in there and not use a send to SMS, but call me. And, mm. and the kind of home, S- home SIM card is actually redirecting all calls. When you are not connected, please write, redirect. Uh, to the one oh, that's whatever cool. I have. That's good. Good idea. Calls always get through. But yeah. I'm getting more and more feeling like I do not want to use SMS as part of my multi-factor anymore. I want to use something else. It can be a part of that, but really it's it's all about combination of not just two, but f- at least three dif- different parts that we'd like to actually provide the actual authentication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's really all about, all about Azure in, in there. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we have now a possibility of adding this uh, passwordless uh, authentication, right? But still, still, we have this uh, approach that it's better that you have a vault somewhere in your kind of 
secure enterprise where you actually store kind of backup copies, you know, mm-hmm. break class type of scenarios. Yes. Mm. And then it sets off alarms when you use it. Like yes. It, and preferably needs two senior officers with, with their own keys. With their own keys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, little, mm-hmm. At least notify more people, right? Yes. Like I'm a definitely. big believer in two pairs of eyes on every administrative, non-automated administrative task. Mm. Definitely. One good example of doing that is uh, setting a default account, as you said, a system account with your uh, Azure admin at company domain mm-hmm. dot on Microsoft.com. So it's on the local Azure AD. So even if your ADFS sync mm. is, st- is stopped, yeah. it's still in there on the cloud side and add two separate admins numbers as the MFA uh, receiving numbers right. in there. That's hmm. an example. Yeah, so okay. you have some redundancy there. No, there's no single point of failure. And when a point does fail, you can still make things work. Yeah, exactly. How do you feel about authenticators in general? The Microsoft Authenticator, Google Authenticators? Oh, yeah, the software-based apps? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, they are driving to the, towards a good behavior. Uh, yeah. I kind of like this better than the, than the text message authenticator because you can still yeah. use the phone. It doesn't have to be online. Yeah. You know, you're, you're still carrying it with Facebook, you. The Facebook app on my phone has a good one. So it yeah. basically generates a code. You put, you open the app, go to that code page, and paste it in. Yeah, exactly. But how is it actually different from the physical key, like the RSA keys that we had? It's the same sort of behavior those. that where we actually moved away from mm-hmm. ten years ago or so, yeah. and now we are back at the same thing. I love the RSA key generators. Uh, it's a great, great they, solution. They felt reliable. You yeah. just, you know, sometimes you lose them. They cost money. Yeah, you know. But on the other hand, they work. They work. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, so the, right. they, I, I appreciate the, all the login strategies. And clearly, uh, well, this year's Ignite. Being, I'm wearing my, my run-as hat here. One of the big themes was getting to away from passwords as a yeah. whole. So we are starting to see Microsoft make some moves there. Yeah, Can't wait. It's going to be a happy day for passwords me. Passwords suck. They do. And nobody nobody makes good passwords because they can't remember them. Well, if yeah. they were good. I'm using Last, I've been using LastPass for a few years now, and I change passwords on a regular basis, and they are long. I'm, and they get hacked, too. LastPass got hacked once. They did, but they didn't have anything lost. Right. And but they and they were quick to be polite about it. And yeah. And uh, I didn't, you know, they, those guys handled pretty well. But th- this is the thing is, it's still more secure than using the same password everywhere else or True. writing them down somewhere or trying to keep them in your own store. Yeah. And I don't care what password authenticator you use, just use one. Yeah. But I'd rather not have passwords. Yeah. That's right. But really, after we, we have successfully authenticated you, it's the same thing uh, as with any software system. Now now that we are dealing in the cloud, essentially, uh, it's about authorization. So what right. can I do once I've logged into the Azure subscription? Well, uh, everything. You're a super user. Yes, of course. It, it, Duh, Carl. Come on. It, exactly. <laughs> and that's, a, that's the default. Whenever I go to a new yeah. customer, ask them to log in. Uh, ask them to show how many subscriptions do they have? What are your permissions? What other permi- What other users do you see? And what are what what are the rights for those other right. users? And you know, from time to time, it's always owner in the subscription scope. So not only because they are owner, they can invite in anybody yep. in any uh, identity provider. So yes. a Gmail account, a my private at filmoholic.com account, which I don't haven't owned for 15 years. <laughs> uh, all, of, all of those accounts can be invi- invited. Right. Uh, a Gmail account that looks like a corporate account. Yes. Any, anybody from any country can be invited in because owner is essentially a user administrative, uh, user access administrator. So they can kick out anybody. Sure. They can invite anybody in. You can wreak so much havoc with that account. Yes, exactly. So the account basically shouldn't be used then except yes. to add new people. Yes, exactly. And there should be a lot of scrutiny around it. Sure. So the default should be the contributor, which is also a super admin, they can do anything. They can delete anything, create anything, modify anything, create any amount of costs. Right. Essentially, they can start a huge Databricks cluster or AKS cluster or start mining Bitcoin, even yep. though it's not, you know, officially as part of the policy, you're not allowed to do it, mm-hmm. but you can still do it for a while before you get caught. Sure. And, and of course, that generates costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's no way of you calling as a customer calling to Microsoft that, yeah, some of, some of our agents went rogue and uh, generated costs. Please don't bill us for that. No, yeah. that's yeah. not how that's it not works. not going to work out. No. Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, a contributor in a, uh, subscription level is the minimum. You should demote for your owners to the contributors. Now they, they can't invite anybody in, but they can still do everything. Yeah. So you still have very few of those. Yes, exactly. And that's how, how we should use the, actually the scoping. So role-based access control is, in Azure is about 
what is your role, owner, contributor, reader, whichever, mm-hmm. then what is the scope that you're granted access to? Is it a subscription, a management group, resource group, or a specific resource? Or in terms of networking, even a sub-resource? Mm-hmm. You can get access, grant access to only a subnet in a virtual network. For right. example, so you can get net, you can get very granular on this. Yes, exactly. And with uh, Azure Resource Manager, actually, all of these roles are actually just a li- set of permissions to uh, Microsoft dot the resource provider name dash action dash post gets whatever. Right. It's actually just a API management. Mm-hmm. The whole Azure Resource Manager and the roles that you can do it's about which key is allowed to call which actions in as your specific Azure Resource Manager. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So most of the time you shouldn't be living in a contributor account. Should it, it, I'm thinking very like just enough administrator. Yeah. These are accounts you use for a particular task, you know, going out and building a template to assign a set of resources yeah. to it, and then you log out of it and go use it from a, a regular site yeah. account. Or uh, if you, if you can want, just want, just want to throw money, money at it, you can buy the Azure AD privileged identity management, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, although it is uh, very, confusingly built uh, it really is clear that there's two teams one team working for the office 365 or the azure ad roles right. and one team for the privileged identity management for azure resources side so they're uh, really two different products that happen to have be under the same umbrella yes and that doesn't really help when you're trying to find out from documentation that which services are uh, enabled on which yeah. Uh, and uh, essentially, that product is uh, is nice. You can have default default reader access for everybody, and o- but only when you need to, you can elevate your own rights as a self service or through an approval workflow to a higher level of either subscription scope from resource to subscription from reader to contributor or from reader to owner, and then you're automatically demoted back. And we can enforce stuff like MFA on, like you maybe so, sometimes you need to add a justification if mm. you're a kind of service provider. You ne- maybe need to add a ticket ID, that mm. kind of stuff. Cool, it's cool. Uh, can you hold that thought for just a minute, Carl? Because Richard, guess what time it is now? Must be that happy time again. It's the happiest time of the year. Oh, really? Yeah, it's time to add virus protection to this show by demanding our listeners buy Spartans <laughs> and wear one at all times. <laughs> Is that a Spartan in your pocket? You're just happy to see me. <laughs> I think you're picking up what I'm putting down. I'm getting there. Yes, I got there. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky, lucky winner. Today's the day. Today's the day. Hooray! Hooray! (laughs) But first, let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. The toolset also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. And new this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive documentation, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at telerik.com download. And also consider supporting .NET Rocks by making a monthly pledge at Patreon. Dot, dot net rocks.com to ensure dot net rocks will stay on the air for years to come well all right buddy who's our winner the big winner the big winner the big winner the winner of this year's five thousand dollar technology giveaway is rush austin congratulations rush <laughs> yeah and we recorded a little uh congratulatory conversation with rush let's roll that now so, Rush, what was your reaction when you first got my email? Man, I was just blown away um, with a with a small dose of skepticism at first. <laughs> I thought, wait a minute, this has got to be a prank or something. Uh, we were going to ask for a $99 deposit before we gave you the money just to <laughs> complete the, the Nigerian pinch thing. But, you know, we're not actually that mean. Anything today I look at with just a, a, just a glimmer of skepticism, but I thought... Uh, you know, I've never heard anything from either of these two guys, so I don't know, maybe it's legit. And right. uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm super excited and, and so incredibly uh, thankful and grateful. Sure. Well, you know, thank our sponsors. They they make it possible for us to 
to to give this stuff away. Um, what's your uh, experience with .NET and .NET Rocks and all that? Oh yeah, man. Uh, so I've been I'm an old I'm an old coder. I'm 52 years old. Uh, I started uh, full time in 1999, uh, writing uh, C++ and VB6 stuff, and then was around in that first job. And uh, it was yeah. February of 02 when .NET 1 was released and mm. uh, have been using C-sharp primarily in uh, ASP.NET uh, back-end coder stuff, talking to databases awesome. now for the last uh, however many years that is, 19 years or so. Man. Yeah. And uh, I think, were you guys at, uh, I was trying to remember, I've seen you speak live and I was trying to remember where, and I'm wondering, were you at uh, TechEd in Orlando in 2012? Probably. I know that's rolling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I think I spoke to you guys then, and I had been listening to the show for, I don't know, maybe a year before that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, good. It's tremendous. There's so much stuff in, uh, in the framework, and you guys are always shining lights on corners that I never really peer into. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that's it's great. a lot of fun. Well, congratulations, and uh, have you made up your mind what you want to spend your $5,000 on? Gosh, um, I have a confession to make. I haven't owned a real television in like the last 15 years. Wow. And my, yeah, I know, TV and my, sucks that bad, does it? <laughs> well, <laughs> you might be onto something. And then my streaming rig is this ancient HP tower with like a 21-inch flat panel. So I think I'm going to do some serious AV upgrade. Great. Uh, nice. Yeah. Really looking forward to it. Cool. So you haven't actually itemized things and figured out exactly what you want yet you're just sort of in the in the still in the shopping phase still in the wonderlust shopping uh <laughs> shopping phase right now yeah cool. well that's great well as soon as you get that list together send it over to me and we'll make this stuff happen i'm going to advocate for the 43 inch 4k display nice. Dude, it'll change nice. your life i, it I really appreciate will. the appreciate the feedback there that's great <laughs> so um right in one of the earlier emails i think someone mentioned just send us the urls so to, to broaden that out, you, you basically want me to send you the URLs of specific items. Yeah. yeah that's right. Okay. Yep. All right. Right on. And would you prefer if I waited and compiled a comprehensive list? Yeah, or? do that. And then that yeah, way yeah. you can add up the, you know, the right costs on. of everything and make sure. You, okay. Yeah. That's super, man. I, yeah. I just, I am just blown away by, uh, <laughs> by the, by this event. Um, oh, I'm, I'm so great. appreciative and really, really happy. It's, you guys have a great, uh, a great uh, product and I love your podcast and uh, I'm curious about the Gibson you're holding on the, uh, on the front page of your site there. Uh, oh, there's a story with that Gibson guitar. <laughs> that Gibson guitar has the blues baked into it. It was given nice. to me by, well, I won't say, I, I don't want to air my dirty laundry, but let's just say you it should. had something to do with my divorce. Yeah. Oh, oh. Okay. Do you still yeah, have that sure. guitar? I do. Yeah. He said, did you get that one signed by Les? No, Les Paul signed my Les Paul. Well, that's oh, a good thing. Why would he sign why would he sign a Gibson? That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> hey Les, would you sign my Gibson? What? Well, yeah, the ES three thirty five that I'm holding there is is a Gibson, but the Les Paul is also a Gibson. Oh, absolutely. So he uh he he signed that and and I like an idiot, I played it. And didn't take the pick guard off it and put it away. So it's like half <laughs> smudged now. But at least I have pictures to prove it. Yeah, man. You, at least you got to meet Les uh, did, while yeah. he was still around. I regret never getting to see him live. Do you play? I do. Yeah, I sure do. Wow. Uh, I've got a got an old uh, Strat and an Epiphone Dot. I've been actually been thinking about updating my, my amp situation i didn't know i don't know the really the parameters how how wide it's you guys up to you go man uh, you know technology um you can so you know people spend them on cameras people talk okay. about uh so if you want to go all music that's up to mm -hmm. you it's basically yeah. five thousand dollars in in technology and believe me, there are people that make guitar amplifiers that want your five grand. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. I'll yes, guarantee I can you that. We can do this, in, do this in one fell swoop. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, uh, man, congratulations again, Rush, and thanks for listening to .NET Rocks. And whatever you do, don't stop listening, or Richard and I will have to get real jobs. I, I wish you all the best, and uh, have have a great holiday season. You too. All right. Take care. All right. Take care. Well, that was fun. Yeah, I love doing that. I love giving away stuff. Yeah, it's a great gig. Awesome. It's an awesome gig. And thanks to our Patreons and everybody who helps us do that every year. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also like to ask our guests 
Carl, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? Just today, I would like to buy the Pixie Digital Rangefinder camera. Okay. Uh, it's a uh, new kind of approach to this uh, rangefinder scene. I'm a little bit of a camera nut, okay. sometimes even using them, but mostly just buying and switching them. And uh, essentially, it's uh, it supports the traditional big-time lenses, like the M-series lenses, where you have your Leica lenses, which last right. for a lifetime. Yeah. Uh, I got I actually got uh, my first Leica from my uh, grandfather, who was mm -hmm. a reporter. So it's like 70, 80 years old uh, mm. camera with with lenses. Yeah. And the same lenses still work with uh, with the same uh, camera mount or lens mount. But the difference uh, with that uh, newcomer or kind of startup version of uh, of the rangefinder finder camera body is that uh, yes it supports uh, supports the lenses uh, of you know the last hundred years of camera mm -hmm. technology mm -hmm. but it's actually built for the smartphone era so it's not trying to do do this kind of uh, clumsy touch screen that most of the camera makers want to do yeah but it actually doesn't have a screen at all you use your smartphone so oh. there's a companion app which gets updated from time to time interesting and they also update the firmware uh, mm -hmm. of the actual camera with that. So it's just kind of this, this I'm looking at a picture cameras. of it, and the body style is very much the you know it's Leica, very, it's very Leica, old school, yes. and, uh, and it even has a viewfinder on it. Yes, so it's uh, it's perfect. You can actually use it as you would use a an actual film Leica camera. Sure, but uh, then you have your digital kind of rendering. Uh, you that actually evolves a, a long time. So it's it's not something that you buy a ten thousand dollars worth of equipment as a, as a camera body and you know it's it's outdated already when right. it comes out so, just, it, so i have a canon 80d and it's got a, a wi-fi feature where you can connect with yeah. an app from your phone but doing that requires it takes yeah. time yes, and it takes minutes groups. when you pair it and then your battery is dead and yeah. everything so yeah so yeah. this i take it once you pair it you just go to the app and yeah, it's, it's Bluetooth low energy by default and when it, once it does the sending it's bluetooth forward 4.0 4. Wow. The uh, clever part about that, of course, now you're no longer paying for the display on the back of the camera, too. Yeah, You've right. already got a great display. It's on your phone. Or a tablet, if you want to. I mean, the big problem with photography is you, that's not enough space, that yep. little thing, to, to really focus on something and tell when it's in focus. You want it to be big. So, on a tablet. If you're already fantastic. spending, uh, you know, a thousand or more dollars for an OLED screen... Mm. Uh, that's small and in your pocket, and you most likely have the great, better, a lot better screen than mm. you will you will get on any camera. Why would you not use it? Does it also do the the one of the features of modern cameras that I really like, and I don't have a camera that does this, is the depth of field can change between what you're looking at and the background, right? All the way back, if you have a low f stop. Um, and some some cameras will take several shots with different depth of field, and then you can sort of dial in the one that you like. Well, a good question. Uh, it's just literally coming out uh, yeah, this December. So uh, I'm looking forward to what they're having at launch time and what, mm -hmm. how, how it will evolve. Because 3,500 euros too. Yeah. It's about 4,000 US. So mm -hmm. you can actually add a used Leica M-mount lens on top of that for that 5,000 yeah. dollars. Only Leica lenses? No, uh, M M it's an M-mount. Yeah. So uh, oh. Zeiss. Uh, sure. And Cameron so, makes a lens. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one yeah, of the, the, I think one of the... One of the most common mounting. One okay. of the most common, at least yeah. uh, in terms of uh, the historical age. Wow. It's yeah. so beautiful. It's retro in its look, right? It's, it's retro. very, very clean. Mm. And in terms of business model, it's kind of like what Tesla did uh, to car models. So essentially, it's kind of continuous delivery. We're shipping something and we keep on improving it with software. Sure. Right. I mean, Canon's been pretty diligent about updating the firmware and things, although doing it's kind of a pain in the butt. Mm. But uh, no, I appreciate this. This is, this is a very contemporary camera mm. yeah in in the european style rather than the japanese style right i mean Ni nikon canon i have nothing bad to say about either one of those i fall pretty firmly on the canon side but i have respect for the nikon which guys. canon you can yeah. yeah but the the leica hasselblad like really serious european cameras they're different they've got a finesse to them that i think is very compelling and this mm. is a great um, example of that Beautiful, yeah. beautiful machine. Very cool. And there goes your money, man. You've, you've burned yeah. it. They, you know, without even really buying a lens, just the extras and bits and pieces you're going to want to use this camera. So much for your money. Yeah. 
Uh, well, uh, before we get back to it, I just want to mention if you want to join the .NET Rocks fan club and get a shot at winning that $5,000 technology spree next year and for years to come, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and you can join the fan club because we have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And this particular show was the once-a-year technology giveaway. And we'd like it to be you next year. Awesome. So sign up. All right. Technology fails. Security fails. <laughs> Where were we? Because this is really entertaining to me and a little bit scary, actually. Yeah. yeah so from these kind of traditional uh, authentication and authorization type of fails that you'll, you'll come across on all kinds of systems, sure. not, not just even software systems, but, you know, having a security guard in your lobby and walking mm. with your hard job and, and your ladder mm -hmm. with you all the way. That, that's something that's not Azure specific, but what's different from Azure compared to what you have on your traditional IT system or your own hosting environment is uh, the fact that by default, of course, you can't just point to the server and say that if it's still there, it's still blinking, you know, nobody's stolen it that's from right. me yet. Yeah. Right. Server monitoring by blinky light. I like that uh, a lot. That's the best, <laughs> especially during the holiday times. Yes. Yeah. But the light's blinking faster. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah. So it's green and sometimes it's red. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, always on type of connectivity means that by default, everything is open to not just you, but everybody else as well. Right. By default, if you just hit on next, 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 next and create a virtual machine or anything else, mm. uh, the kind of uh, hosting layer or the kind of sandbox that you want to create for your application is always accessible to anybody. By default, your... Uh, Azure SQL database as a service is open to anybody right. to connect to. And even if you open, you know, IP-based uh, holes into that quote-unquote firewall, mm. it's still very much open to everybody else. Hmm. By default, everything is closed and we are opening bits and pieces uh, just when, when requested is reversed. So the network approach is a lot different from what we used to have. And because we are sitting on top of multiple layers of abstraction of virtual network, Microsoft has their own SD1, then there's something else, and then we actually have our own virtual network concept, where we actually have our own platform as a service components or yeah. infrastructure as a service components. You can't just say that, you know, let's just use a Cisco product or a known firewall product that we have already, and then let's be done with it. Mm -hmm. Right. No. Uh, the whole approach needs to needs to change. So is this more software defined networking? Like uh, it's about that, but it's also about uh, giving more power to the let's say or more uh, network and threat modeling decisions towards the arc application architectural design. Mm -hmm. So it's about whether or not we want to put more money in our Azure App Service plan and get this kind of network level control, right? Or do we want to actually design it a little bit more modular so we are still getting the benefits of the platform as a services? We are just adding the kind of regular Azure App Service, not this isolated mode or App Service environment mode. Yeah, uh, it's just, it's sits in a shared environment, so. Uh, it's not ours. We can't put it in a virtual virtual network. We can't put Wireshark there and see all the all the network data that's coming in and out. Right. Yeah. But we can configure it so that, for example, it's only talking through a web application firewall, or it's uh, only allows a request to come in if you if you also have the successful authentication token from your Azure AD, for example. Right. So instead of network level, you actually have this identity level kind of control towards your application. Well, and you kind of know in, in your architectural design, like there should be no external access to the database. Literally, it's going to be like something in this instance pool is the only thing it can call to this database. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So you should be able to define all of that and just cut down the surface area. Yes, but depending on where you're actually running your application code, you can't just whitelist an IP address or you can't just say this, no. it will be always this DNS name. If you're scaling massively or even just a little bit automatically, you mm -hmm. can't really always predict where are you actually calling. How many instances you're really dealing with. Yeah, exactly. So, again, with that, with, with your Azure SQL database, uh, you actually need to invest in using your Azure AD identities mm -hmm. to actually query that data. Right. So, the identity is the thing that has the privilege to get through to the network. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, that's right. So that's useful. Yeah. yeah. You just got to define it properly. Exactly. Takes a little extra work. Yeah. Yes. And and that's that's actually a good segue from your application layer access. So as we as we will define any other application in, in traditional world, we need to define some 
kind of application control which end user is allowed to query which data set. Right. And actu- actually, we are talking on the background uh, with our data- database from our application layer with some sort of system account, mm-hmm. right? Mm. So that needs to be an Azure AD account. We maybe need to have multiple of those, all of that design. But that's something that we have kind of done also before. Mm. And But that's privilege and, you know, authorization, what's the scope? Again, uh, who is going to access it? Uh, who has access to this uh, is it something that's shared in a common, uh, in your Dropbox, uh, shared with your team in a right. Excel yeah. file or a key pass? Uh, doesn't matter if it's a key, if it's, if it's a key pass, if it's still shared with your peers, then it's not really, we yeah, can't, we can't point that it was you who did this. Can you define an account for a machine like that that says this account is only usable on this machine or this cl- this cluster? In Azure, we have something called an Azure AD service principle, okay. which is uh, something that's uh, essentially it's a key value pair mm-hmm. that you can use to authenticate against uh, your uh, Azure AD. And that can be assigned any sort of access as any user would. Right. So instead of an interactive login, you actually have, uh, you store it somewhere Right. Uh, and uh, key uh, vault, I presume. Key vault is a good, uh, good yeah. example. Yeah. And for example, you can instrument your Azure DevOps, formerly known as Visual Studio Team Services, formerly known as Visual Studio Online, formerly <laughs> known as, I don't know, TFS <laughs> on the cloud. And, <laughs> and uh, you can instrument your Azure DevOps, uh, so that it access, accesses your Azure subscriptions. Right. Using your service principle. And that's actually one of the kind of most common failures that I see as well is that if you just go next, next, next on the wizard, uh, even though you're supposed to do everything on on the kind of templates and command lines, still I see a lot of people just going on the GUI next, 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 next. But it's a good prince. This it's a good idea to say, hey, we never use domain loginable accounts yeah. as mm. service accounts in these apps. Exactly. So it's just this fundamental schism. If you somehow breach that app and you get this account, it's worthless to you unless yeah. you can get it to run from that machine. Yeah, you exactly. can't use it as a login. No, no, you can't. So it's just a whole class of of vulnerability that's dead. Because you, yeah. you, cause you've been diligent with those accounts. Exactly. Yeah. And it should be, by default, you have no, no access, and you also only add the access that the specific service principle needs. And with your Azure DevOps uh, specifically, uh, by default, what you get if you just go next, 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 it's actually uh, not even a service principle, but it's actually going to authenticate your own, uh, with your own personal credentials right. in your centralized build management yeah. so mm. no first of all uh it's kind of non-repudiation issue that somebody can run bad bad actors or bad spartans under your hosting environment and claim that it was you because you look from the azure log it was using your credentials yeah that whole reusing of credentials in general yeah not at all it's, it's a trap <laughs> it's, it's worth fighting your way out of it because it, it also is a record of the truth that's 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 exactly what <laughs> it is and azure devops gives us a lot more kind of tangible logs what Azure actually actually gives us from who actually approved this PR, right? Who actually approved uh, this release, and mm-hmm. what were the credentials used to actually deploy to this in the off, environment? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. And uh, by default, again, if you go and sign sign assign your build pipelines to your Azure environment, not only does it use your own credentials, mm-hmm. it also gives you. Essentially, if you if you say, "Please create me a service principal," it will create you a service principal with subscription scope owner access hmm. and then we are back at this oh no that's way yes. too high privilege yes exactly mm-hmm. so you need to go and find this kind of advanced button and input your own manually created uh, service principles in there it sounds more complicated than it needs to be is it yes. just an oversight on the microsoft part that they haven't done a good job of tailoring i believe it it's it's a classical different teams are not talking to each other yeah mm. okay that's fair hmm. but yeah it's just the the I would hope it would default to an account with the minimum privileges necessary to operate. Yes. And, and they have, they have been better lately on, on that, but there's still some, some way to go. Yeah. Drop. And there's no scenario I can think of where the default account is owner. Yeah. Like that's always a mistake. Yes. And, and, and really for a service principal, why, why is it even possible that your service principal can be an owner? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And you can add privileges to a service principal too. So it's almost like you want to give them enough that they can log in, but barely do anything. And then as you're, you know, you kind of want it to hit against the wall of it tried to do this. It didn't have the privileges. Here's the error message. This is the privilege required. And now you can go in and just add that privilege, to that service principle. Yeah, that's right. Like, I, it's, it would be great if we were clever enough to think through everything a piece of software is going to do and figure out all the roles that it's going to require. I'm not that smart. I'd rather yeah. ha- not have enough privileges and keep running into privileges that yes. needed and add them in that way. And that's the whole agile and iterative way, really. Sure. If you know all of the roles that you need to do, then 
you're not being fast enough. Yeah. Dodging it all by going, you're an owner, knock yourself out. He just ask you for trouble. So let's say that you're not a one-man shop and, you know, being a one-man shop nowadays, you have to do everything, security as well as developer and IT infrastructure, even if you're using Azure. Let's say that you're, you know, you're a developer on a team. Maybe there's 100 people on the team and you have some IT people and you have some IT security people. And what is, what is the minimum security requirement that you have to do as a developer that you have to be cognizant of? Even when there are other people on the team that are that are supposedly doing security, whatever that means. Well, as a single individual developer, of course, the classics don't store credentials in code. Yeah. Be mi- be mindful of uh, you know storage account keys are actually way too powerful uh, yeah. compared to what what they can do. So mm-hmm. definitely, as a kind of tech lead or in, in the architectural design, if you see somebody using uh, using either directly or using individual storage account keys don't let them because mm, yeah. they need to be rotated uh, very pre- very much periodically yeah uh, prefer- preferably through a key vault uh, or something else key vault's not expensive and it's no. good, it's a good place to put your ssl private keys like it's just it's good use it and storage account keys obviously those things yeah we, we did that show with adam kogan about the different azure services like first azure ad Right. Then Key Vault. Yeah. <laughs> then, then we can start talking about what services we want to harness and so forth. But yeah. it's like you are always going to need these two things. It's just sort of reality. Mm. And it's like a good behavior. And then we move really on to the, from, the, from the classic. What's typically missing is the monitoring side. Mm-hmm. So by default, Azure stores all this kind of uh, activity log, what they call Azure Resource Manager activity logs, which mm-hmm. are essentially audit logs. They mm-hmm. used to be called audit logs, but not anymore. But they are audit logs. We right. see who did, who uh, logged in, who, who logged in, out. what did they do, uh, what sort of uh, identity did they use, mm-hmm. uh, did they use, uh, were they MFA authenticated, did they use, uh, you know, a Windows integrated uh, authentication, did right. they use uh, just password, mm-hmm. uh, who are they? And then we also see the Azure resource provider level action again. What is the specific call that got made, uh, or and even that they tried but it failed. Right. And these logs are by default stored only for ninety days. Mm. Okay. And if you heard of any leaks or any kind of attackers, uh, then you know that it's uh, longer than that. It's a yeah. lot longer. It's two hundred days, five hundred days, depending sure. on which statistic you actually believe in. Yeah. But by default, uh, you can very, very much as- assume that, or you can rest assured that an attacker has been in your environment for more than more than ninety days when yeah. you actually bust. Them. By the time you find them, wow. yes. And yeah. in which case, their original breach and whatever they did is rolled off your logs already. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the first thing to do is always to kind of set up the retention of those logs for more than 90 days. I presume it's pretty simple to do. Well, uh, it's not. Oh. Hmm. So, uh, Why so, is this hard? So for a while there, uh, it, it was actually missing uh, altogether from the UI. Oh. So we, you actually had to go to the Azure Resource Manager uh, and actually manually edit the field uh, huh. in there. And now it's back again uh, in the log analytics. So you, what you first need to do is, in your Azure subscription, uh, you actually need to uh, export your logs to your Azure Log Analytics, uh, mm-hmm. which is Log Analytics Workspace, which is something that Microsoft is now rebranding to Azure Logs. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. a big data uh, space where you can dump all kinds of data and you can run different queries and do different dashboards and analytics. Mm-hmm. And one of those uh, kind of integrations is with Azure Activity Logs. Mm-hmm. And then okay. with, with that Azure Log, uh, Log Analytics Workspace, you can then configure your specific retention time uh, it's hidden under the cost and usage, uh, but yeah. now it is there in your in your portal uh, UI as well. Ah, good. That's also the next thing you need is now start measuring everything that goes on. Next thing you need to do is call Carlots. dot <laughs> <laughs> com. So my <laughs> rights rates are yeah, price is going up as yeah. you speak. So what's next uh, for you? What's in your inbox? Uh, next for me is the busy holiday season, uh, yeah. a lot of uh, closing new customers and, and actually closing the projects that we are doing with deadlines coming, mm. coming up with this. 
Uh, this is actually my uh, last uh, conference of the season. Okay. Right? So I'm looking looking forward to uh, spring. And actually, by spring, I mean January. Mm-hmm. So uh, we are, I'm actually organizing a conf called IgluConf, which is in... IgluConf? I- in IgluConf Finland? in Finland. And awesome. it's literally the coolest con- Azure conference in, out there. It's going to be in an ice hotel? <laughs> uh, it's not in, the, in an ice hotel, but there will be uh, ice um, ice hole diving, mm-hmm. which is a What did you call me? <laughs> 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 so uh, willingly really jumping into water through a hole in the ice. Yes, exactly. This is the kind of brain damage. Wow. Right yes. No, 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 not oh, really. Yeah. No, it's pretty. So, much. would you like a couple of overweight, middle-aged uh, podcasters to join you at this conference? <laughs> Definitely, you never refuse a uh, offer like that. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fun. Do a little Finland. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much. It's been great pleasure talking to you today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, Carl. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...